Well, good morning, Christ Church. Welcome to the movie theater. Really glad you're here. Any Black Panther fans in here? Wakanda forever? Yes? Hey, really glad you came this morning. My name's Chad. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we're going to dive into the movie of Black Panther, and it's a fantastic film. Uh, but before we do, I, I want to share a, a quick story with you. The other day, I had gone into my closet to get dressed, and after getting dressed, I had actually put on a pair of pants that I hadn't worn in, in, in several, you know, in a long time. And so as I, I put my hand in my pocket, I find a piece of paper in my pocket. And I'm like, what is this in my pocket? And so as I pull out this paper, a thrill of surprise rushes through my body as I pull out a $1 bill. <laughs> I'm $1 richer. Now, here's what's peculiar about this $1. I was so excited about finding $1 that I folded it up and I put it on my dresser. And it's still sitting there, partly because I'm afraid I'll lose it again. Now, how many of you have ever found a dollar in your pocket and thought, I, I got to do something with this. I, I don't want to lose it. And so you put it on your dresser and then it just stays there. I think the excitement of finding treasure is something we all share. Like uh, finding a 20. Anybody ever found a 20? How about a Benjamin? Have you found a Benjamin? You know what that felt like? It feels good when we found money that we've lost. It feels even better when we found money that someone else lost. <laughs> we scour across the beaches looking for metal with metal detectors, right? If you're a golfer, you scour the sides of a fairway looking for the brand new ball that someone left behind. If you've gone to Lake Michigan, you've swam down into deep water to find a special rock. Or if you're a mountain climber, you've climbed to the top of a mountain to find that most unique sunset. Or you've gone to the grocery store and sifted through tomato after tomato after tomato to find the ripest one. And we all know what it means to find the perfect diamond for the perfect lady. How many of you ever got hooked on American, um, the Antique Roadshow? American Pickers? Any Pawn Stars here? I mean, we love a good story of treasure, don't we? And we love the idea even more of finding it ourselves. So that's why we sometimes wish we would have won the lottery or maybe we find a priceless gem in our backyard. It's even why we sometimes wish we found that elusive buffalo coin. Anybody ever found a buffalo coin? I want to tell you a story about a man named Jeff Murphy. In 2017, Jeff went to Wyoming and trekked across Yellowstone. And for those of you who have been there, you know that the terrain there is very treacherous. And so it would not be uncommon to find out that someone would die there. And in 2017, that's what happened to Jeff Murphy. He died while hiking in Yellowstone. But what's odd and peculiar about his death was why he died. You see, Jeff Murphy was hiking because he was looking for the mysterious Forest Fen treasure. Does anyone know what the Forest Fen treasure is? I'm glad you don't. <laughs> but stay with me, I'm going to tell you, okay? <laughs> Here's what the Forest Fen treasure is. Many years ago, an art collector decided to take his valuable possessions and put them in a container and bury them somewhere in the Rocky Mountains. We're talking $5 million worth of possessions that he has buried somewhere in the Rocky Mountains, somewhere above 5,000 feet above sea level. 
He's created a poem. He's created a map. He has a website. He has a social media following. 300,000 people have searched for this treasure. Four people have died looking for the Forest Fen treasure. So much so that the authorities have actually gone to Forest and said, you need to shut this idea down. But he's so enticed by the idea of looking for treasure, and he's so enamored with the thrill of the chase and the hunt, that he's decided not to, not to do it. And so this $5 million, go check it out. It's still in the Rocky Mountains somewhere. A few weeks ago, I was talking with someone out in the atrium out there, and we were talking about uh, where she lived, and she had, she had told me that she lived near a golf course. And this particular golf course, there were a lot of uh, golf balls, very expensive golf balls that ended up along her, uh, her property line. And as she's telling me this, in my head, I'm, I'm hearing the voice from Napoleon Dynamite, lucky. Because I would love to live near a fairway and get free golf balls all day long. But she goes, doesn't your son like golf? And I said, well, yeah, he likes golf. And she goes, would, would he like some golf balls if I found some more? I said, of course, that'd be great. A few days later, I come to church, and in my mailbox is a bag full of golf balls that says, for your son. You want to take a guess how excited my son was when he got a bag of found treasures. This weekend is the first weekend of looking at three movies and how these movies intersect with our life and how the Bible influences what we're watching. And much like the Forest Fen treasure, finding this treasure changes a lot of things. Wakanda is this thriving, prosperous, independently wealthy city. They are technologically and economically advanced more than any other culture around them. And they draw their strength from this thing called vibranium. And as the story says, a meteorite filled with the same material hits the continent of Africa and everything around it changes. And after people find it, they eventually elect to remove themselves from the outside world. And they choose to only engage the wider world when it means to protect their own people and their own power. And as you watch the movie, you start to see their struggles. You start to see that they struggle with power. And the people of Wakanda have, have decided to not really engage the world at all, to really get involved or share their resources with those who are in need. And as Wakanda thrives and its culture continues to grow, the world around them falls into chaos. They hide their truth, they hide their power, they protect themselves. To date, I think I've seen this movie 10 times. And every time I watch this movie, I, I'm struck more and more by the parallels that this has with God's kingdom. You know, the struggles that the Wakandans face are similar to ours. You know, they, they struggle with self-preservation. They struggle with power. They struggle with fear. And as they labor and as they work, the world around them is broken and it's painful. People are suffering. They have no resources to help themselves. Where have we seen this before? I want to tell you a story. It's the story of home. And years ago, God created the heavens and the earth. And after he created the heavens and the earth, he created us. We were like him in his own image, in his own likeness, male and female. 
And after he created us, he told us to be fruitful and to multiply, to fill the earth and to subdue it. So we did. And then he told us that we could eat from any seed-bearing plant, every tree and every fruit, and every living creature on the earth would use that as their food. We were naked, we were never shamed, we were with God, he was with us. Things were good. But then there was a crafty being. One who convinced us that we could do the one thing that God told us not to do. And that was to eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. And so enticed by pleasure, enticed by wisdom, we did the one thing we shouldn't have done. And ever since that day, our relationship with God has been broken. Ever since that day, our way of living has been hard. It has been painful. It has been cursed. And for most of humanity, hope has been lost. And so when I think about the economy of God, the culture of God, the kingdom of God, I start to think to myself, what is most valuable to him? Wakandans knew what was valuable to them. What's most valuable to God? What is the treasure that he would find worth protecting, worth hiding, maybe lavishly embracing, maybe even giving up everything for? You know, there was disciples back in the days of Jesus who were wondering similar things. And I want to read a passage of scripture for you. It comes from the book of Matthew. And in this particular time in Jesus' life, the disciples and Jesus are having this conversation about the kingdom and the culture of heaven. Listen to what Jesus says to his disciples. Chapter 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then his joy went and sold all he had, and he bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything he had, and he bought it. Have you understood these things? Jesus asks them. Yes, they replied. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. What is Jesus doing here? He's describing the kingdom of heaven. And it's similar to Wakanda, don't you think? I mean, God's kingdom has a valuable component. And in Black Panther, we see a whole group of people who do a whole lot of things to protect the one thing that they find valuable. God's kingdom is similar. And if you've seen the movie, you know how important vibranium is to their culture, to their people, to their way of life. Similarly, in the story of Jesus, here, with these two individuals, one guy finds a treasure, sells all he has and buys the field, and another guy finds the most valuable pearl and sells all he has so he can buy the pearl. There's something very valuable in the kingdom of God. It is the essence of the kingdom of God. And when we read words like, is like, in this particular passage, we're to understand that the kingdom of heaven is not a treasure, but it's like a man who finds a treasure. You see, the substance of the kingdom of God is valuable. It's not an actual value. It's not a, it's not a treasure. It's like a treasure. 
And it's so valuable that it's like a man who finds it and sells all he has. If God's kingdom is built with this kind of essence, with this kind of substance, with this kind of value, then what would be valuable enough to him to sell everything for, to give up everything for, in a sense to lose all he has to get it? I mean, can you think of something you'd give up everything for? Is there something valuable that you would just lay everything down for? Maybe to protect it or to defend it, to cherish it. Maybe to do everything in your power to enhance its brilliance. Well, let's flip the question. Can you think of something that God would give up anything for? Is there something that is valuable enough to him that he would protect it, that he would defend it, he would cherish it, he would do everything in his power to enhance its brilliance? The answer to that question is as powerful as vibranium was to the people of Wakanda. And with people of Wakanda, they've got a choice. They can either use their power and use their resources to influence the world around them, or, and this is what they do, they can sustain their way of life. They can protect themselves. They can remain silent when it comes to providing the aid and resources to the needs around them. And there's this peculiar moment when T'Challa, who is Black Panther, and Nakia, who is going to be the future queen of Wakanda, have this conversation. And in this conversation, you see Nakia and T'Challa have very conflicting thoughts about the future of the city of Wakanda. But as you watch the movie, you also begin to wonder what's really keeping the Wakandas from helping people around them. I mean really keeping them from doing what they could do. Of course, that makes me then ask this question. What's keeping me from doing everything that I could do? Or even further, what's keeping you from doing what you could do to influence the world around you? Now, Kia's response to T'Challa is very selfless. And the movie presents a reason for this lack of reaction by this Wakandan king. Did you see what he said? He said, if the world around us knew what we truly are, knew what we really possess, then what? We could lose our way of life. Now we're getting closer. Now we're getting closer to the reason that they're responding the way they are, because they are afraid to lose, not to gain. Their response is a response of fear, and I think that fear exists, and you'll see this, because they begin to come to an understanding of who they actually are. And in that moment, they've completely forgotten that. Now, as I've gotten older, and I can't believe I'm saying that, I have begun to realize the value in knowing myself. You see, when I come to understand who I am, I begin to have this self-confidence almost this posture of safety that says I can posture myself a little bit more like Nakia did because I have nothing to lose. There are times, though, in my life when I've wondered, do I even really have anything to give? I mean, I'm just some dude in the southwest suburbs of Chicago. Like, but, you know, then maybe to, to, to one degree, I convince myself that, yeah, I'm doing enough. I'm influencing enough. I'm making the world around me better. Maybe you've had this conversation with yourself before too. I want to share something with you that I think 
will give you the strength and the power to make a difference in the world around you. And it's so powerful that it's like vibranium is to the people of Wakanda. And here's what I want to share with you. It comes from 1 Peter in chapter 2 and in chapter 3. And in this particular section of the Bible, Peter is writing to a group of Christians who have been scattered all around Asia Minor, both Jews and Gentiles. And this is what he says. Here is the powerful moment for you. But you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. That you may declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles to abstain from the sinful desires which are waging war against your soul. Live such good lives among the world around you that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your good deeds and they will glorify God in heaven until the day he visits. Who is going to harm you if you do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your heart, revere Christ the Lord. And always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks, to give the reason for the hope that you have. At one point in Black Panther, T'Challa says that the fear of our discovery has kept us from helping the world around us the fear of our discovery. I'm convinced the reason that I don't do as much as I could do is because I'm afraid. I'm afraid to give. I'm afraid to extend. I'm afraid to live outside of my boundaries. I'm afraid to do on something uncomfortable. Fear is existing from moment to moment in my life because in those moments, I've completely forgotten who I am and just how valuable I am. And sure, maybe I can reason with myself and I can think that, yeah, I've made a difference, but if that's the case, if I am really doing enough, then why do I always feel like I could do more? What's this thing inside of me that says, I think I can do more. I actually want to do more. Maybe it's similar to the call of Nakia had in the movie. This call to not stand by, but to do something with your life. Do you feel that? Do you feel like you could do more? Do you know how valuable you are? Do we know how valuable we are? Later in 1 Peter, as Peter's writing to the scattered Christians, he reminds them that Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us back to God. You see, I am so valuable that Christ would die for me. I'm here telling you that because I'm reminding you that the story of home didn't end with lost hope. The story ends when God brings us back to him because of what Jesus did for us. And so do you know Jesus? 
Has he made a difference? Is he making a difference in your life? Is he changing who you are? I'm convinced that knowing who I am is so powerful that I'm trying to instill that into my daughter. Many years ago, I had a friend who showed me something that he does with his daughter repeatedly to build identity into her, to remind her of how much she's loved, and he taught it to me. And so over the years, I've taught this little call and response, question and answer thing with my daughter. And we do it literally almost every night. And I want to share it with you. And why do I want to share it with you? Because I believe there's value and power when she grows up and she knows not only who she is, but how much she's loved. And it goes something like this. Who loves you? She says, you do. How much do I love you? A lot. How long am I going to love you for? Forever. Why do I love you? Because I'm your daughter. Don't ever forget that. I won't. Who loves you more than I do? God does. How do you know? Because he died for our sins. I love you. I love you too. Good night, lady. Good night. That is powerful. Knowing who we are is our most valuable asset. Because when we know Jesus, we get to live beyond ourselves. And we begin to bring the presence of God right along with us. It changes the atmosphere. You see, our identity as Christians has to go well beyond cultural boundaries. It has to go beyond racial divides. It has to go beyond private walls. It has to go beyond invisible barriers. It has to bypass our safety nets. And it has to go into the places that need aid and support and ultimately redemption. So what do we need to do? Well, first we need to identify what we're afraid of. And not just individually, but us. We need to decide what we're afraid of. Because I think that this fear is what's hindering us from actively pursuing the restoration, the redemption, and the injustices around us. They're hindering our potential. I mean, honestly, most of my decisions are safe, right? Most of my decisions are, are based out of self-preservation, are based about what I really want and what I really need. But here's what I'm asking myself. What decisions do I need to make with my life that will cause me to have a deeper, more convicting relationship with my God and trusting in his power. And I would like to ask you the same exact question. What decisions do you need to make that will cause you to live a more deep and convicting life with God and trusting in the power that he has for you? Black Panther says, that the illusion of division threatens our very existence. More connects us than separates us. And he says that in times of crisis, the wise build bridges and the foolish build barriers. We must find a way to look after one another as if we were one single tribe. Do you know how many people live on planet Earth? 
7.5 billion people. They say that by 2050, that number will grow to 9.9 billion. That is a 30% increase in our population over the next 30 years. That's a lot of people. And guess what? Those people are a lot like us. There's a lot that we have in common with people on planet Earth. But of that 7.5 billion, how many of them do you think have never actually come to know the good news of Jesus Christ? How many of them have yet to taste and see the value that they have, how valuable they are that, they would, that they, someone would die for them? Do we know what's valuable in the kingdom of God? Do we know what the most valuable thing is to him? Do we know what God would give up everything for? If we understand our value, and we understand what it's worth, then that has to cause us to not stand by while others suffer injustice and lack resources to help themselves. We cannot stand by. We won't stand by. Black Panther begins with a boy asking his father why they hide their power. But it ends with a different question. And for that, you'll have to see the movie. But I want to end with just asking you this simple question. Who are you? Who are you? Let's pray. Father, would you be gracious to us? God, would you give us a sweet ability to know who we are? Father, would you enable us to understand the value that we have in the kingdom of God? God, would you give us the ability to live beyond our fear because we know the value that we have in you and give us a great ability to love, to seek after the injustice, to provide resources to those who need it, God, would you give us ability to be singers for the songless, God, storytellers for the aimless. Father, help us to be friends of the friendless, hope for despairing, God, assurance for the doubting, reconciliation for the divided, freedom for the oppressed. God, this is the prayer of our heart. And we pray, God, that you would work in and through us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray and the church says.